And now, Touch My Bass Productions presents The Shootout with Bill Blanchard. All right, welcome back to the Wrestling Shootout. I'm your host, Survivor of Pain, Bill Blanchard. You know, tonight, this weekend, I took a road trip down to Crystal River, Florida. Now we're heading back. I got my partner here, Alan Luke, who rode down with me this weekend, and uh, we just traveling back, having some good times, a good talk about professional wrestling. You know, I said my very first podcast, I've interviewed Christopher Dickens, and I said, you know, this is not just a podcast about AWF, it's a podcast about wrestling, you know, indie wrestling, but, you know, sometimes if I talk about WWE, TNA, WCW, NWA, hell, man, we just, we just reminisce about some damn good matches, you know, so be out there listening, tune in, sit back, relax, and let's be listening to good old wrestling. My boss, Alan, you know, at AWF, he was always known as the commissioner. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what inspired you to be the commissioner as far as anybody in WWE, WCW at the time period, we were watching wrestling back then, so hardcore with the with the Monday Night Nitro Wars. You know, I'm sorry, Monday Night Wars, Nitro, Raw, you know the whole deal. When you were being portrayed as the commissioner, Alan Luke, did you compare yourself to Mick Foley as the commissioner or William Regal as the commissioner? Or like even when WCW, when he had like Ric Flair and Sting, but there wasn't a president, or Ryan Ryan Piper as the commissioner during that time period. You know, what, what kind of commissioner he was trying to be? Well, uh, the AWF was uh, a different beast than what was going on in professional wrestling. So I didn't model myself after a particular wrestle. If I was to say um, how I wanted to conduct business, I would say that more than likely... It would be more of along the lines of William Regal, you know, some side uh, the, the fine gentleman kind of um, persona that took no shit. Uh, I think that's um, the type of commissioner I would have liked to have been portrayed as, but I could see where some would think that was fully, you know, not making very bright decisions, just going out there and. Uh, goofing off and whatnot, I did have a comical side to me, most uh, off-camera, but you know, I did do some on-camera stuff too, um, but yeah, I just, the the whole commissioner thing, I, I can't remember if that was just what people wanted to call me, or what, I, I know that I didn't come up with the commissioner as a title for myself, it was a position that I think that was made and then I became it kind of deal. Well, you were an awesome commissioner, my friend. Uh, you know, you were about Mick Foley. I thought Mick Foley was very entertaining commissioner. I love some of the stuff he did with Edgy Christian, you know, back then. But, you know, brief, brief, briefly in, uh, in AWF, my friend, I was called, you know, I stopped wrestling and Survivor paid. I had an injured. You know, I took myself off the roster for a little while, and I got into the storyline as a commissioner myself. But I said, I didn't want to be called president. I didn't want to be called commissioner. I wanted to be called the boss. You know, yeah, like I, I was called by boss. So I was like, hey, how about this? The boss, Bill Blanchard. And so I started booking matches and became an online screen character. And I always wanted to portray a writer, Roddy Piper. Piper was tough. He didn't take no nonsense. He got in the ring, had fun with him, talked trash he needed to be. And when he called for it, he got in the ring and kicked ass, man. I mean, I, I love Hot Rod Ryan Piper when he was commissioner at WCW. You know, some of the biggest things he did was finally booking the match with him and Hollywood Hulk Hogan inside a steel cage. You know, did you ever see that match? Um, no, I did not. 
Dude, man, she puts a class one, man. I'll tell you what, it was a good, brutal fight. You know, but, you know, that year, 1997, was a very, very controversial year. Now, and, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, you know, behind the scenes when you were the commissioner, you know, you deal a lot of political stuff in wrestling, you know. And I think you might know where I'm leading into this thing, because, you know, 1997 was the year of, it's, it's, it was the most talked about it. Might have been over talked about it, but hell, I don't care. It's my show. I'm gonna talk about it. I'm talking about the Montreal screw job between Bret the Hitman Hart and Shawn Michaels, where supposedly Bret Hart refusing to put Shawn Michaels over. You know, so if you were Vince McMahon, let's say for instance you had a match between, let's just say, Mask Fury and Jake Arganis, although he, he didn't wear a mask. You know, Mask Fury is different from Bret Hart because, um, you know. Bret Hart sometimes wore those glasses. Yeah. But Mass Fear never wore shit. No, he no, he, he never did, you know. But you know, if he was a champion, you know, and he was, you know, scheduled to leave us and say for instance he was gonna go I'm just gonna say SWO, that promotion down at Thompson and ran by Charlie Anarchy. And um you knew about this and you asked him as well, I want you to put over I want I want you to put over the great Oz Knight. And he tells you, well, I'm not doing it because Oz doesn't respect me. I'm not going to put him over. How would you handle that? Well, I think the thing that you have to look at is the experiences that, that Vince had gone through. Because remember, he had already had uh, the the women's title. I don't That's think right. it was a Divas yeah. Medusa. She threw the damn women's title into the trash and trash Vince. And he didn't want that to happen again. So it's not like he hadn't done it before. And it's one of those things that, in experience, if it's the first time that I've ever, you know, had a, you know, had something like that occur, I might have let it slide. Now, a more experienced person would be like, "Oh hell no, you're not gonna, I'm not gonna have a champion, my my top guy." Leave my promotion, go to another uh, promotion as their top guy, and disgrace our promotion. And I think that most people will view it like that. Now, when it comes down to the indie scene, um, the AWF has uh, you know been really lenient on that kind of thing because they will acknowledge other promotions. And at one point, the WWE did too. But now, if they rip someone from TNA or they rip someone from Ring of Honor or something like that, they don't acknowledge that they existed outside of the WWE. No, they sure don't. And that's experience because it's like they don't want other people to watch other promotions, so they won't even name it. And, the, and um, it's something that could potentially happen, you know, like uh, in further promotions after the AWF. It's like, people come to realize like hey we we're giving credit to all these other promotions we have this guy that comes out was flying flatline colors we had uh, 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 announced him as three-time flatline champion he comes out there he looks good all of a sudden flatline's got to get uh, uh gets rebooted or whatnot comes back onto the scene he obviously has his loyalties with the company that made him. He wants to wrestle with them again. You lose a good guy, and they remember because he was announced as a flatline champion. They're like, well, hell, by the dude that I came here to watch, he's gone. 
he's with this promotion. I, I think I want to watch him. Wow. That's, that's the, not bad analogy, boss. I'll tell you what. Well, you know, moving on past the Montreal screw job, I mean, you know, Bret Hart, you know, I, I, I tell you something about the Hitman, you know, you know, growing up, you know, everybody had a childhood favorite, you know, and as, as a child growing up, I loved Sting, I loved Hulk Hogan, I was a Hulkamaniac, I was a little stinger, but something that made me really want to respect wrestling and what the art form of wrestling was and what it should be was a matchup between Brett the Hitman Hart and Mr. Perfect. You know, so but as the mature I got older in life, I started staying more by Brett Hart and it was just kind of like how not a whole lot of people respected Brett. You know what I mean? And, and hearing guys like Ric Flair talk about saying how he was a one-dimensional wrestler and he couldn't cut promos and he didn't draw no money, you know, it's just really hard to hear that, you know, you find out this guy was, I was the greatest, most toughest guy ever on the planet, you know, he, he really, really wasn't, you know, I mean, but, but, you know, still, you gotta get credit for credit, there, you know, Brett Day gave us all to get, you know, he tried, you know, that's all I can say, you know, he, you know, I don't know, one thing, and this is what I was really starting to learn about wrestling, it's full of egos, and everyone believes himself and that's competed in a professional wrestling. And I read and study about how much of a cutthroat this business is. And it, it ain't made for nice guys. And I've experienced that myself when your closest best friend was stabbing the bat to get the belt. You yeah. know, you show up in a promotion and then you're already you're you're in a storyline and you know that you're booked to win that belt. You show up in that day and you kinda of find out your best friend wants that belt. You know, he took the opportunity and took the right, right from underneath you. And then you have a possible fight going on in the locker room. You know, and I know we said Brett and Sean had several fights in the locker room. It wasn't necessarily always about the heavyweight belly, it's about their spot in professional wrestling. And then, well, the, the, this goes with something a little bit different. Then, okay. Now, this is going to, for those who have heard something similar to it, it's going to be nothing new. Those who haven't, it's going to expand your mind. Like I said, people want to talk about Bret Hart and he couldn't cut promos, which is true. He sucked at it. And everybody knew it. The best time that the uh, Hart could cut the best promos when everything was pre-recorded, which wasn't always the case. The thing is, is that he was, he was down a lot because he, quote-unquote, took the spotlight away from other people. You know, um... Other people didn't get the push that they needed. The thing is, is that Bret Hart was the WWE champion, which means that he was actually the person that was not being pushed the hardest, but the second person being pushed the hardest. Now, now people are confused because the top guy necessarily is the top guy. He's the top mark. And the thing is, is that. It's the champion's job not to sit out there and look pretty and have people cheer him. It's the champion's job to put over whoever he is fighting, to bring them to the champion's level, to make sure that they shine as bright as they are. Because if you don't have a good match between the two top contenders of your promotion, it's going to go to crap. So if Bret Hart couldn't push people up, to his level in the ring, he wasn't doing his job. And I don't think that's what Bret Hart uh, had a problem with. 
then it comes with the promos. Well, Bret Hart was so bad at cutting promos, it should have been no problem at all for anyone he was feuding with to absolutely destroy him on the mic, which would have put him over Bret Hart. Definitely, definitely. But Bret Hart in the ring did his job. Now, it was just... At that point, it's not. It has nothing to do with the talent. It's beyond the talent level. It's the management level. Bret Hart was champion because Vince wanted him to be champion. Bret Hart got screwed over because Vince wanted him screwed over. It's just the way it works. When a promoter sees something in somebody and and wants to, to push it, the whole company has to be with it. And let's face it take the mistakes of the past to know that um, each and every promotion that you'll probably ever wrestle in, you'll have people in the locker rooms that aren't happy that they're not number one. It's the champion's job to make those people number one. Which is why, you know, like when it came down to the AWF, I particularly didn't care about uh, the titles as much. Never had an interest in in the AWF heavyweight title. They didn't care about it. Why? Because it's boring. It's heavyweight champion and then I couldn't beat him. Yeah, that was sure. <laughs> it's boring at the top. It's lonely at the it top. It is lonely at the top. And um, I'd be more jealous of that. You, know? you, you are the number one mark and it's one of those things that that, that title comes with loathing and resentment uh, you'll see your friends become your enemies. Yeah. And you'll see good people become bad people to get it and to maintain it. And it's one of those things that the, the, the act of being a champion should be with the crowd and the crowd alone. I could have honestly went my entire AWF career. Granted, mine really had nothing to do with sports entertainment. And ran a career like Dickens where I really didn't have much to shine off of and totally be fine because those few fleeting moments where I did shine when stuff clicked and it was right would have been just like pure honey. It would have been so sweet rather than a champion that every single time they come out, they're the champion and everyone hates them. And it's it's one of the things that in the AWF Real Division, we strip titles like we stripped your title several times because no one could beat you. I remember. Now, the AWF Entertainment Division, the titles were, uh, because because it's lonely at the top and all this stuff happened and uh, storylines were lived in real life, you would have a title switched several times in a year. You would have more title changes than... Uh, the, uh, what the WWE was doing and WWE has gotten real bad with title changes so going back to what I was originally saying as a champion it's not all about keeping that belt it's not even about maintaining the belt it's about going out there and being the best you can be it's one of those things that I believe as a wrestler if you need a gold belt around your waist to feel like a champion, you're doing it wrong. But that's just my opinion. You have other people who feel that you're not doing it right unless you have a gold belt around your waist. And I just feel that's a crime because 
you're losing all your friends and you're losing the respect of all the people in your locker room just to do it. Well, to comment on that part as far as the championship is concerned, the two things I want to say. You know, one, The Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson. I remember in uh, 1999 or the year 2000, he made he had an interview one time. He said, regardless of its predetermined sports entertainment, if you're not in it with the champion, then, then you're in it for the wrong reasons. You know, and I had mixed feelings about that as well. But but think about this. Now, did you watch wrestling in 1990? Uh, yes. So, yeah. you remember the storyline that happened when uh, Sting was kicked out of the Four Horsemen? You know, he, he hurt his leg that same night to Clash of Champions, and they're building up from the face of Ric Flair. He's supposed to be supposed to Ric Flair, Wrestle War. 1990 in February, but hurt his knee and to have surgery on it. He came back in July, so it was, it was the Great American Bash 1990. You know, and Stinger, you know, got, got Rick feet pinned to Ric Flair's shoulders. Now, storyline wise, Ric Flair and the horse were trying to destroy Sting and anybody else. The four horsemen protected that world belt, that was their moneymaker, you know. But with all that being said, when Stinger won the world belt, as humble as he was, the first thing he wanted to do was thank Ric Flair. And said, people will be understand that Ric Flair is the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. And I honestly thought it was just simply because, you know, Flair defended the belt. He held the belt. He held about the longest, you know, that, that made him the greatest champion of all time. You know, Ric Flair stood up for the boys. And he stood up for Sting. Because, you know, Jim Hurd wanted, after Sting got hurt, gets mad about it, tells Ric Flair to drop the belt to Luger. Flair says, no, we made it. We made a commitment to Sting. We're preparing Sting, training Sting for this moment for him to have his shot. We're not taking away from him. Sting's knee will heal. And then Flair kept, kept, kept it for his word. But the bad thing about that, though, when Sting won the world belt, all of his friends you saw congratulate up in the ring were the same friends that were plotting against him. Wait, Sting to slip on him and not him fall. Proving he couldn't handle the pressure. He can't handle the load. So they would get their opportunity to become a champion. I mean, it really is what they say, lonely at the top. And the ones that are uh, your friends to your face are the same ones that try to stab you in the back to get that spotlight off of you. <coughs> they want the spotlight on them. And when I really realized that by my professional wrestling, I didn't care to be part of that kind of nonsense no more. I wanted to go back to wrestling real. At least then, if I'm fighting real, if I beat somebody, I beat him because of my technique and my skills and my determination, not because a promoter or a booker booked it that way. They thought they could saw that they could make money off of it. Yeah, you know? it's, it's one of the things that I do, in, in a sense, agree with what Sting said as opposed to what The Rock says. Right. Because what The Rock does, and, and you got you got many fans and wrestlers alike who love The Rock. Yes. And those who listen to that kind of negative reinforcement get sucked into that pit that that um, that that way of thinking that is destructive to the sport altogether bottom line sports entertainment is entertainment and to think that you're the only monkey in the circus is absolutely ludicrous oh yeah to, yeah. to think that if they lose you, that the circus was shut down is also absolutely ludicrous. And it's one of the things that you go out there, you get loved by the fans, and you, you relish in it. You would think that what people will want to share that love to someone else, too. But no, they want to hoard it. They want to cover it, like like Golem in the One Ring. It's like, uh, 
you, you, don't, you can't give it up. And I understand it. Yes, it's, it's, it's pure drilling, getting cheered or booed. It's, it's um, you go out there and you just feel alive. Yes, which which is understandable. I understand that, but you can't cover it and hoard it for yourself. And it's also disrespectful to sit there and say that that all those cheers and those boos are for me, not for you. And I would never give you a chance to have that because if I do then it takes away from me and that's something that like Hogan would do you know he he would refuse to lay down people because he are are he would refuse to to work with certain people altogether yes. and then he would refuse to put over people because he honestly was afraid that they would be more successful than he was that's a good spot so that again is detrimental to to what wrestling is. Hogan at one point was a phenomenal wrestler. At one point. Or a phenomenal entertainer, depending yes, on Yes, a, ph- a phenomenal entertainer. There was a Hulkamania, it was big. But honestly, there was a, 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 a point, actually, you know, in the 80s, where his career was starting to, to dwindle. And I mean, it, it, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure that. Macho Mania was just as big, if not bigger, than Hulkamania. Macho Madness. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah the Macho Madness. And I was a, I was a uh, Savage fan. Now, I always I, I couldn't understand because because you know knowing what I know now, when you watch DVDs and stuff like that, you you'll you'll know that a long time ago at one pay per view. Hogan was supposed to put um, Savage over, and Savage was supposed to become the champion. Hogan backed out of it at the last minute, and Savage went under. And it was like one of those things that, I, I mean, yes, it happened. And you look back at it now, it's just it's a ripple in the pond. But what if? Because, you know, you look at it like, well, the reason why wrestling is as big as it was in the, the 90s, because it's definitely not as big as it is now, I'll tell you that right now, oh, no. uh, <coughs> um, was because of wrestlers like Hogan, and then you know, they'll, they'll, oh, Hogan, Flair, and then to some extent, many, many, many names now, they make it to Macho Man. Yeah. Um, Macho Man was a hard worker, he was, he was, had a good, I thought a good gimmick, good sounding voice, he could be funny when he needed to, he could be serious when he needed to. But he wasn't put over as much. And then, like, um, the whole Andre the Giant, WrestleMania three, Hogan was supposed to lose that, but he refused to. And then that led to the slam well, that was heard around the world. I don't think Hogan refused to lose to Andre. I mean, uh, I studied that whole scenario as well. Hogan, well, he was supposed Hogan to be... Was, Hogan was scared of Andre. But they sit and decide to the 11 o'clock hour night before... Because he was here for different people saying Hogan didn't deserve to be Andre. Andre undefeated. He should retire be undefeated. You know, but he talked to Andre. And Andre knew what they were trying to do with Hulk Hogan and the Hulkamania kind of deal. And he knew Hogan needed that push. Hogan was really terrified of Andre the Giant. If Hogan found out, if, if Andre the Giant ever found out if Hulk could refuse the job for him, Andre would kill him in a heartbeat. <laughs> You know, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of strength under the giant was. But you mentioned something else about sports entertainment, and I wanted to comment on this. You know, I don't know why I'm thinking that I'm a, that I don't have a distaste for sports entertainment wrestling. That's why I look at it. In my personal opinion, 
all sports is some type of form of entertainment. I mean, a lot of people sit at home and watch a baseball game. They want to be entertained. A lot of baseball games, same thing with the football, Super Bowl, a big spectacular entertainment thing. A lot of people watch it because they want to be entertained. They want to forget what was going on in their personal life and put their minds in that, in that, in that world, you know, be entertained. So, I mean, you know, if, if, I don't, I don't, I'm still a big fan of professional wrestling. I'll never turn against it. Brought me out a lot of dark times in my life. You know, when I think of professional wrestling, I mean, I, I think of big matches. I get so epic here. And that's, uh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's with Kurt Angle. You know, Kurt Angle and the Olympic gold medalist broke his neck to win the gold medal. But it's not a match he had, man. He's, he's a vicious wrestling machine. And when you see a match like, I don't know if you saw Genesis 2006. You know, me and my partner, uh, Matt Spirit, Jay Garganis, yeah, he didn't wear a mask. Nah, he never wore a mask. Did he wear a mask as a pay-per-view at least? To the pay-per-view? Yeah. Other than a ball cap, I thought I might have. You know, he didn't wear a mask. But, uh, never wore a mask. No, never wore a mask. But uh, we saw a great matchup. Um, we saw a great matchup. Kurt Angle versus Samoa Joe. Samoa submission machine. I've always said, that's my vision, what professional wrestling is supposed to be about. An athletic competition. You get two guys going at it back and forth, trying to break the other person's will, doing everything they can. It was just all out war. I love matches like that. I love when you get two guys from, they're two different epic backgrounds, two different generations, two different whatever. Like Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat in the 80s. You know, perfect example, 1989. They had a three-match series. You know, just just the contrast. You know, two different personalities, both believing the same thing, wanting to be the world heavyweight champion. You know, and hey, hey, I'm Mark when it comes to that. You know, I love this world title matches. They had back then, had great classic matches. No crazy wild storyline about it, but just great competition. You know, something I miss. You know, I really miss that. Well, WWE now puts um, an emphasis on the storyline, but this was something that was pre-attitude era. Um, when, uh, and this is something that you'll hear from like people like Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and whatnot, when they first went over to the WCW, they would talk about how, you know, um, basically they would have skits kind of like Saturday Night Live. They would go out there and do two or three skits. Right. And they may have a match that night. But they would, you know, they would be on the show. I mean, you're looking at a two-hour show. They would be on it for half an hour, 45 minutes. But actually, how much of it would be wrestling? And, and, and I mean, wrestling has always had skits to build up fights and whatnot. But it, it, at some point, it, there was more of an entertainment part to it because it would build up the fights, and then they looked at they looked at it like this is the uh, this is the norm, this is the standard that we have to do. Somewhere along the line of the Attitude Era, when they started to put in extra violence and sex appeal, they would focus on that. And Raw being a three-hour show. You know, you would actually, you would have less than an hour of actual wrestling. The rest of it would be a sitcom. Yeah, that is true. And when you're when you're mentioning all that, 
know, and it's about the sports entertainment, want to be entertained. There were some funny stuff, now. I, I got no credit. And, and, and during the Attitude Era, my favorite storyline angle was nothing to do with, with The Rock and Austin. And, and believe me, I love the funny skits between Austin and McMahon. I love what The Rock did. So many people cutting him down when it doesn't matter what you think. I thought it was quite But my favorite storyline angle that took place back then was, was Cactus Jack. Mick, Mick Foley, Mankind, wherever you want to know them as, but I remember when Mankind stopped being Mankind, got reformed, transferred to Cactus Jack, living up to the Royal Rumble in the year 2000. Between 2000 and 2010, as far as the best WWF or WWE Championship title reign, I mean, far, not reign, I'm sorry, matches, um, I got to, I got to say, number one, my personal opinion was Cactus Jack, Triple H, Royal Rumble 2000. That was an epic clash, back and forth bloodbath. He had two guys that came to play that day with something to prove. Not just to be the champion, but something to prove that they deserve to be in that spotlight. They deserve, they didn't need to be with someone like Austin or Rod to draw money. You know, they wanted to prove they were main event superstars and they were going to put it on the line. You know, I love that whole scenario that they had. Cactus Jack and Triple H. Damn good few. My hat goes off to him. Like I said, uh, Triple H has always been a phenomenal seller. He sells better than most anyone in the business. Which is why I don't understand, you know, I think it's totally unfair that people want to disrespect Triple H. You know, great, okay, I know why Bret Hart does, and that's fine. You know, but the way I look at it, no, you know, that's not fair for someone to sit there and say that he is where he is today because of Stephanie. I supposed to say Triple H, you know, but ass, you know, he works out in the gym, he studies the business, he still respects the business, what professional is supposed to be, you know, and he had a lot of phenomenal matches, you know, I just don't understand when, you know, I saw an interview, a shoot interview one time with Bret Hart, you know, talking about saying Hunter Hurst Hurley never had a great match a day in his life, you know, sitting there saying that he's got a good physique, and yeah, he's a good wrestler, Got good mechanics for Russell, but he never had a good he never had a good match today in his life. And I'm like, come on, man. I mean, I I seen Triple H have phenomenal matches. I mean, the match the yeah. war he had with uh, Shawn Michaels, damn good feud. Him and Jericho had some good matches, you know. I mean, that's my that's my opinion. It may, not, it may not be worth much to some people, but hey, I know myself when it comes to professional wrestling. Yeah, Triple H, is, uh, he's always been respected by me. I do believe that he wouldn't have nearly as much boy. Of course, he wouldn't have nearly as much pull. And the thing is, is that, don't get me wrong, um, this is something that can also be thrown to the AWF, is that people within position of power to book matches, you know, where you're a promoter or just a booker, or, you know, just a board member, and you're also a wrestler, Yeah, you're going to get it. Yeah. And Triple H has set up a phenomenal career for himself yeah, he because he thinks that he is the answer. When, when the WWE is starting to decline, Triple H can always pull that card. When I'm champion or when I'm on top or when I'm doing this, things get better. And then, boom, he'll instantly put a patch on it. Not necessarily fixing a problem, but because he's in a position of power, and he's got that respect from a career that has been paid by 
others, he can pull that card. So yeah, I understand Triple H as a wrestler, one of one of my favorites. Triple H as a promoter or just as a booker, I don't respect nearly as much because he's still a wrestler. Now, once he stops wrestling and he is just a promoter and he doesn't patch all of his mistakes with himself, then then we can talk. Okay. But once once uh, that happens, I think that the WWE could could begin to move forward to a better in a better direction. But right now, they're, they're just screwing up one storyline after another storyline after another storyline, and then what is what happens? Triple H comes out. What does he do? He buries it. That's uh, I think the yeah. popular term. He buries. He buries it. it. And that's what he's got to do. It's like, oh, we screwed up. Mistakes are made. Bury it. Well, well brother, man, we're almost at time. I got a couple of minutes left for the show here. Um, just like I did the last time he was on my show, I asked about any guys' names. Let's do a little bit things differently. Let's, let's, let's do a little bit of WWE, TNA, WCW guys. You know, just tell me your honest opinions about it, all right? All right. Ready first wrestler? I'm going I'm going number one, boss, man. But we have been talking about him. Brett the Hitman Hart. Brett the Hitman Hart. Brett screwed Brett. <laughs> Brett screwed Brett. Okay. All right. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I really did. He's pretty cool kid. Pretty cool guy. Damn good. Brett. I love him. Yes. You know, one of his protégés was this guy. Well, not well. Not, I'm not just a protege, but uh, this guy looked up to him, wanted to be just like him, if not better. I want to listen to him out here. Y2J, Chris Jericho. I was, I was a big fan of Jericho. I love the, the smack talking. I love the ass kicking. He was all around cool guy. So, what, were, were you a Jericho holic? I was a Jericho holic. I was. <laughs> Both me and my brother Eric were uh, Jericho holics. All right, no man, it's just one. Are you one of the millions? And the millions of Rocks fans. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. You smell what he was cooking? Yeah, it was, it was kind of shit. Was, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Rock, he did phenomenal things for the WWE. Don't get me wrong. Yes, he did. Is, is, is he a legend? Yes, he is. Does he deserve his praise? Yes, he does. Was I a huge fan? Not really. I mean, I, I would yell along with the catchphrases and whatnot, but uh, more than often than not, during the, the the matches that he was fighting, you would find me pulling against The Rock, uh, just because I just I don't know I just I don't know. Oh, and, and uh, uh, fun fact: Rock had boobs at one time. What? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. during the during the Attitude Era. I'm kind of scared that you know that. During the Attitude Era, when he came out with the shirt and he would refuse to take it off, that silk shirt. Yeah. It was actually to hide surgical scars because the testosterone that he was taking to buff himself gave him boobs. And he had to have breast reduction. Really? Yeah. Fun fact. I just figured you wore a shirt just because he was out of shape or something. He had to go. No, it was because he had boobs. Wow. (coughs) Wow. No, I I never never knew. Wow. Damn. (laughs) All right, um, got, I got I got another million or so. All right, but, but, all right, how about this one? Little Goldberg. 
I'd overrated as hell. Overrated as hell. Overrated as hell. Damn. Who's first? <laughs> the beast. Eat. Sleep. And he did break the streak. Brock Lesnar. Bork. <laughs> Bork bad. Bork very bad. <laughs> Ray Mysterio. <laughs> I, I like Ray Mysterio. I, he wore a mask, didn't he? Yeah, he wore a mask. Unlike <laughs> one motherfucker I know. <laughs> Not gonna mention his name, but it rhymes with ask. Flurry. Flurry the other day was Flurry. McFlurry. Mask McFlurry. <laughs> Rhymes with Mask McFlurry. Oh, but, God. Uh, Ray Mysterio, I thought, was a phenomenal wrestler. Although he's a wrestler that should have stayed mid-card. Main evented only when something along the lines of um, uh, featherweight or uh, cruiserweight title was being defended or something like that. I hate, abhor, loathe. The test, the David and Goliath storyline that they constantly put his ass in. Yeah. It is stupid. It is boring. It is predictable. Stop it. And a man of his size isn't legitimately big enough to be your flagship over the top superstar. Not unless you have, you know, uh, a whole, uh, like a federation of these these light luchadors and whatnot, then it's very much so possible. But for a cruiserweight, which I'd say that he was actually above cruiserweight status because he was pretty buff damn dude. Yeah, he was. But the, the, I mean, he was phenomenally talented, but he was very limited in what he could actually do story-wise. I'll say that. Phenomenal talent, huge in the ring, limited on what he could actually do. You know, for a promotion. Okay. What about um? Huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna, throw, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this name out there. You know, this guy claims to made a big impression in wrestling. You know, say he made a name for himself. I mean, some promotions have called this man a legend. Legend. Yeah, but not a legend. No. This man once told me that if Vince McMahon, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, had offered him a job, say he spit him in the face, said he can't afford me. <laughs> you know who that is? Nope. The man himself, Christopher Dwayne Dickens. <laughs> True story, he did say that. You can't afford me, huh? That's what he says. He slapped him in the face, spit in the face, said he can't afford me. If, if, I'll never work for Vince McMahon. That's if Vincent Kennedy McMahon <laughs> called Christopher <laughs> Dwayne Dickens or whatever to the stand, he would be there with bells on. Wow. He would ask he would ask Mr. McMahon what color thong to wear. <laughs> what kind of uh, like <laughs> Do you prefer a hot fudge or do you like the whipped cream? <laughs> Don't kid yourself, man. It is a dream job to work for Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Regardless of how crazy sometimes he may appear. The man rules the world. He beat God. You know what? I just saw that, man. I, thought, I just 
you know, I heard Vince's comment about that. He said, hey, even God himself has a, has a sense of humor. You know? I mean, wow. Had to create a Christopher Dwayne Dickens. <laughs> oh, God. On that note, I want to thank all my sponsors. I want to thank my producer before he fires me, Chris Dickens. <laughs> oh, thank God for sense of humor. I'm Survivor of Paying Bill Blush. This has been a shootout. Y'all have a good night, y'all.